Welcome to A Year with Jesus, where you're spending time learning how to think, live, and love like Jesus. I'm Bill. I'm Philip. And this week, we actually have one of our deacons, kind of our resident Mark expert, uh, Ryan Poe, with us. I don't know if expert's the right word, but I'm glad to be here studying these chapters with you guys. All right, so so last week, we were in Mark chapter 14, and at this point, Jesus has been arrested. Mark 14 ends with not just he's been arrested, but now he's he's uh, Peter has denied him. And, and so in chapter 15, they're going to try to put him to death. Yeah, he's going to be on trial here, and his life is hanging in the balance. We see that the crowd has got to make a decision as well. Yeah, the, the crowd, they, they clearly have multiple opportunities to do things, right? So it says they, they delivered him over, and then a little bit later, Pilate has this custom where they release someone, and Pilate gives them the opportunity to decide who they're going to release. So they have this insurrectionist, Barabbas, who has, has committed murder, and they'll ask, Pilate will ask, well, who do you want us to release for you? And it's heartbreaking because they are just like we have been in our own heart, clinging to our old life, clinging to our own pride and imperfection. And they call for Barabbas. And yet Jesus is going to take his place and ultimately take our place. Yeah. So, Ryan, what stands out to you about, like, especially maybe looking from verse 10, like the reason why they wanted to hand them over and, and, and really not seeing that this is just something that's just not now coming up in Mark 15? Yeah, so we've seen multiple times where because they were envious of Jesus, what he was capable of doing, and not just that, but the way that the crowd viewed him was so important to them. They felt like they were losing their grip on the people um, who had looked up to them up, up until this point. Even in verse 11, it says that the chief priests stirred up the crowd. Mm-hmm. The crowd wasn't necessarily originally going to say, hand, it, hand Jesus over, but the chief priests whipped the crowd into a frenzy to start shouting to crucify Jesus and not Barabbas. And then in verse 15, Pilate, wishing to satisfy said crowd, releases Barabbas, which is wild to me. Just to, I, don't, like, I, don't, I don't know what it would have been like as they would have let him go and Barabbas maybe walking through and just having a murderer walk through, but he wants to, to satisfy the crowd. He releases Barabbas and having scourged Jesus, he's going to send them over to be crucified. You know, and crucifixion, was such a painful way for anyone to suffer and to die, for the crowd to be shouting, crucify him, crucify him. They're not just saying, cast him out of the city. Mm -hmm. They're not just saying, stone him. They want him to suffer. And that, that suffering that Jesus was willing to endure for us should touch our heart. And the suffering, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just there's physical suffering. I mean, they're they're clearly humiliating him. There's they're beating him. They're putting on you know they're they're putting on the robe of purple on him. They're spitting on him. They're kneeling before him in, in an absolute mockery. And now the text doesn't tell us, but we do know historically just how terrible and how awful crucifixions were. In fact, so much so that it would have been difficult. It seems like for him to actually carry his cross. And so. Uh, somebody gets somebody comes to help him. Yeah, we we get introduced in verse twenty one to Simon of Cyrene, and who are his kids? Alexander and Rufus. Right, and so probably some people that were early converts. Right, mm-hmm. probably some people that the original readers of this gospel would have been familiar with. And now Simon is going to carry that cross. Right, and you got Rufus mentioned later in Romans sixteen. So there's a possibility that somebody could even go and speak to them about what his father had done. Mm. As the crucifixion unfolds beginning of verse 22, we see that several prophecies are brought out here, Ryan. What's so significant about some of these Old Testament statements? Well, first of all, some of these statements are things, if you were to consider, is is Jesus really the Christ? Is he really the one that we were looking for? Um, some of these things are prophecies that are fulfilled without him actually taking part in it. 
Mm. You have those that are in opposition to him that are both crucifying him between two robbers, as it says in verse 27 and verse 28, where that scripture is being fulfilled. Jesus didn't ask them to do that. Yeah. That's an evidence that Jesus is in control of the situation, even when his enemies are doing these things to him. And additionally, whenever they cast lots um, for his clothing, uh, that being a fulfillment of, uh, of Psalm 22 there, he's on the cross. He has nothing to do with that. And yet we see that that fulfillment is taking place in proof that he is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, as Mark 1, 1 says to us. And, and you kind of see that throughout this whole chapter. Whenever they deliver him over, Pilate questions him, and he, see, he asks, are you the king of the Jews? When he In verse 9, do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They're beating him. Hail, king of the Jews. The inscription over the cross is, behold, the king of the Jews. Even as they're mocking him, let this Christ, the king of Israel, now come down so that we may see and believe. And so, again, like they, they don't see what they're doing. But here God is fulfilling even the Old Testament prophecies. And, you know, we see these time markers in verse 25 that it's about 9 a.m., right? And then we come to verse 33. It's been three more hours. We come to verse 34. It's been another three hours. This was an agonizing and difficult period of time for Christ as he was really just brought to the end of his earthly life. Again, and I, I just, it always stands out to me the resolve that he has to save humanity now. And not it's just everything, obviously you see that, but but I always like whenever they laugh at him and they say, ha, in ver- they're wagging verse 29, they're passing by him, they're hurling abuse. They're, you know, ha, you who are, you who are, we're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it, save yourself and now and come down from the cross. It just, again, I, I you see, you see that the deity of Christ, but you also see his desire to save mankind because it, it would be so easy to just, okay, I'll come down. I'll show you. Yeah, I would say even in verse 31 when they say he saved others, he cannot save himself. If you think back to Jesus' life and where he's healing people of leprosy and giving people their sight back who were born blind and even raising people from the dead, you've got this, that he saved other people's physical lives. And they're saying, but he can't do that now. But on the opposite side of that, he is not saving his own life mm-hmm. so that he can save every single other person's soul who would be willing to believe and follow him. And so Mark then shows that in his death, there were many accompanying signs and miracles to show that this was very distinct, right? We see in verse 38, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And then verse 39, a centurion comes to a very reasonable conclusion based on all this evidence. Yeah, truly this man was the son of God. Uh, this is a statement that would probably be in conflict with Caesar, who would be called a son of God or a son of the gods. Um, but the centurion, it's its evident to him, having been there with him in the statements that he's made on the cross, the fact that it's been dark for three hours as he's, he's hung there, there's a certainty of who this man is as he hangs on the cross. And if a centurion who is just seeing Jesus in these actions can believe these things, how great is this evidence for us today? Absolutely. And the women that are there witnessing these things, they have the same conviction because they're not staying near to Jesus just because he was their friend. They're not staying near to Jesus just because they have been healed. They have a faith that has convinced them of who Christ is. And so they are carefully looking into all the proceedings of his execution so that they will be able to honor him in his death. Yeah, I definitely think that's what's going on in verse 41, because it says they used to follow him and minister to him. And my guess is they're thinking, even after, you know, after the dust settles, we're going to go and minister to him. But actually something different happens. So in verse 42, 
evening comes, the preparation is, you know, it's the day before the Sabbath, the preparation day, and somebody else comes up, actually. Right. So I love the story of Joseph of Arimathea here. If you look at John, um, John tells us that he was a secret disciple up until this point. But just like the centurion, there is evidence that he sees. It says he was a prominent member of the council, which means that he would have been allied with those people that had put Jesus to death, except he was in opposition to them. He did not give his consent to do this. Mm-hmm. And even before the resurrection of Jesus, which we'll get to, Joseph of Arimathea says, this is enough evidence. Jesus hanging on the cross is enough evidence for me to become no longer a secret disciple, but to proclaim myself to be a public disciple, which he does by giving his own tomb over to lay Jesus in. Yes, I love the phrase that Mark uses, that he gathered up courage. Right. It's the yeah. way New American Standard right. yeah. He just collects his courage. And what a great application for all of us today to think about not keeping our faith secret, Amen. but to gather up courage to stand with Christ, to sacrifice for Christ, and to ultimately let others see our love for him. And now we don't, we don't know this from Mark, but I think the Gospel of John definitely bears this out. But the tomb that Joseph puts him in is his own tomb, presumably. And so there's even this sense where Jesus, even in death, is kind of taking the death. He's taking Joseph's death as a shadow to take really all of our deaths in, in at the cross. And the chapter ends with Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of Joseph, kind of they're waiting to see where he's going to be laid. Because when the Sabbath's over in chapter 16, these same women who saw it from a distance, these same women who saw where he was laid, now they're going to go and they're going to go to the tomb to anoint him with spices. I want to throw one thing in here. A man that was crucified would not be buried in a tomb. Mm. But because of the courage of Joseph and because of the foreknowledge of God, this was accomplished so that his resurrection would be abundantly clear to everyone that he was no longer in a tomb that nobody had ever been buried in before. So there could be no confusion there whatsoever. So this is a critical point that we have here about where Jesus is buried and and Joseph's uh, interaction here in this. Yeah, and for skeptics that would say that maybe they went to the wrong tomb, it just blows that out of the water because this is their dearly beloved rabbi. This is the one that they have spent the entire day watching suffer. They're not about to forget the proper location. And as they retrace their steps in verse 16, that faith is greatly rewarded. Yeah, they're going and they don't even, they don't have a plan. They just know they have to go. I mean, they're going and they're like, how in the world, who's going to roll, who's going to roll the stone for us? You know, but, but they, but they know they have to get there. And when they get there, they realize the stone's already gone. You know, Bill, when they get there and they do see that stone gone, I think verse 15 captures it super well. They were amazed. And we're supposed to be amazed when we get to this point. Mark has been racing through these 16 chapters to prove to us who Christ is. And the empty tomb verifies who he truly is. We should still be amazed in God's incredible love to raise his son that had been crucified on our behalf. Yeah, I actually think it's funny because like you're right. The natural response in verse 5 is amazement. And he, the, 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 the young man, probably an angel, tells them, don't be amazed at what happened. And I think in part, not because these aren't amazing things, but because this is what he said was yeah, going to happen. Right. Mark 8, Mark 9, Mark 10, we've talked about these things. Jesus knows what was going to happen. These women, they were following him closely. They would have heard these things too. And they said, look, he's, so he's not here. And what you have to do now is you have a response. Because he's not in the tomb, I just love this picture. Because he's risen from the dead, you have a responsibility to go and to tell. And I think the same thing is true for us today. Because Jesus is no longer in that tomb, we have a responsibility to go and to tell. And I love that everyone from this event forward is first told 
and then believes. Mm-hmm. You know, the scripture tells us that faith comes by hearing. They have heard this good news from this young man, this angel. And now the apostles are going to hear this good news from these faithful women. And we hear today through the writings of these scriptures, faith does come by hearing. And it's so critical for us to pay attention, to have those ears that want to hear. Yeah, I, I think it's so true that if, if the death of Christ, just like for Joseph, if it changes us, the resurrection of Christ compels us mm. that we would have to go out and we would have to tell other people about what Jesus has done, not only in his love for us, but in what he offers to us in our resurrection. And because Jesus had been so faithful and reliable to tell the disciples ahead of time what was going to happen, when we get to verse 14, it is appropriate that he is able to reproach them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart. They had seen enough miracles. They had seen enough power. They had heard him speak about these events so many times. They should have been quick to believe. And I think that's convicting for us. How many sermons have we heard? How many Bible stories have we had where we start to doubt? And I think we need to have our faith elevated by a chapter like this. Yeah, and I love especially, you know, that point of verse 14. In verse 13, seems the expectation is he expected them to believe on the account of the words of other people. The women were supposed to tell them, the others who saw that they they were supposed, and it says they did not believe them either. And so I love that point you're making. And in spite of all of that, Jesus is not like, well, you were supposed to believe, you didn't believe, your lost causes, I'm done with you. Verse 15 is, okay, he reproaches them and now get to work, you know, go into all the world, preach the gospel into all creation. And Philip, I know you had some things you wanted to say about verses 15 and 16, so I want to give you the floor for that. Well, sure. I love verse 16 in these two components, to believe and to be baptized. And the question should be asked, well, believe what? Mm -hmm. Obviously believe in his resurrection, but not just that he was raised, but what that proves about who he is. He is the Savior. He is the one who has come to take our sins away. So believe that he is the Savior, and then be baptized, not to be baptized just because he's the king, not to be baptized just because he's loving, but to be baptized again because he's the Savior. Mm -hmm. Belief and baptism in view of salvation are what Jesus expects for his disciples, and he wants them to take that message as far and as wide as they can possibly travel because he did not give his life only for this select group of first century friends. He's given his life for all of us and for those those that will not believe, for those that will not acknowledge the good news of Jesus Christ, there is no other outcome but condemnation. That's right. Yeah. And and as he sends them out to go do these things, we can consider that Jesus was able to prove who he was in a lot of ways because his words carried the weight of the miraculous things that he did with, with those things. And he will send them out saying, you're going to speak these things but so that people will know that you speak them in my name and with my authority, he gave them those same signs, um, signs specifically being that they would point to Jesus, not point to the disciples themselves, so that they would be able to, to carry that truth forward. And that's why as the, as the scriptures continue on, we can believe and we can trust in those words that are given because the people that saw them with their own eyes saw them accompanied by miraculous works that we're beyond what any man should be able to do except that Jesus Christ was in the You know, person. this is a really powerful way for Mark to bring this story to a close because we've seen so much evidence here, mm-hmm. evidence of his willingness to sacrifice, evidence of his great power, and now evidence in the miraculous gifts that he gives to his disciples. Sometimes critics want to challenge the scripture and say, I'm not sure if there's enough evidence. Friends, if we look at this honestly, 
there is an overwhelming amount of evidence so that our faith rests on a very solid foundation and on a very empty tomb. And so he was, after he's spoken these things to them, he was received up to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of God, because this is who he's always been. If you think Mark 15, the Roman centurion claiming truly this is the son of God, if you think this is wrapping the book up, I think Mark 16 verse 19 does it even almost puts an exclamation point at the end of the book because he's not just the son of the gods in the way in which the Romans would have believed. He is the son of God. And so they went out and they preached everywhere. And I, and I love the end of the gospel of Mark because he they preached everywhere and God still worked with them. And he was confirming the word, the same word that we have today, the same word that we've read, that we've been able to read over the last few weeks. And he was confirming this word with the signs, the supernatural signs that followed. So guys, when we think about some application here, what is the big thing we should take away from Jesus in these two chapters? He's not just a man. I mean, the gospel of Mark has been trying to drive this home over and over again. That Jesus is God and Jesus has authority and that Jesus' death and his subsequent resurrection gives us the power to have life again. I think, too, just that Jesus has given us the evidence to be changed people. And as changed people, we will go speak the word to others so that they, too, can be changed people made in the image of Jesus. That's tremendous. So as we speak that to our friends and to our families, what do we want them to take away from chapter 15 and 16? How can this help them walk more in the footsteps of Christ? Is it a lesson on humility? Is it a lesson on sacrifice? What should we be imitating from Jesus in these chapters? Uh, well, I do think in the in the vein of imitating Jesus, all these things that he's done, he's done them in love. I mean, we haven't seen a single time in which he was angry about what was taking place with him. We haven't seen a single time where he was um, uh, he lashed back out at them. In fact, he took a lot of these punishments and these difficulties in silence and returned them with loving statements about. Uh, for, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do and recognizing the the people that were in the crowd and the needs that they have. Um, so I think that we see the love of Jesus on the cross. And I, I think that we should aspire to have that same love where, where he looks out and sees the needs of others that are around him. And he desires to fulfill those needs, him by dying on the cross, but us as we're taking the word to others who need to know about his death on the cross, his love for them, and the power of his resurrection. That's awesome. Okay, that's awesome if we can imitate his love. Bill, what about those that are around Jesus here? We have a huge group of people in this scene. What can we be imitating from those disciples? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, 15, 16 gives you what not to imitate. Don't, don't imitate the envy of people who want to establish and maintain their own little kingdoms. Don't imitate the the maybe the the... The, in, in Pilate, at least, the desire to, to please everybody else. Don't be like the crowds, the thoughtless crowds who didn't give any thought to what was true. I think we need to imitate, you know, the 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 willingness to be like the centurion and to see the evidence that's given. Imitate Joseph's bravery. Imitate the 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 women's desire to go and to continue to f- stay true to the Lord in spite of whatever goes on. And imitate the disciples as they go out and they preach the word everywhere. Very good. And that's going to sometimes bring some interruptions to our life. Everybody here is interrupted in one way or another, especially Simon. Mm -hmm. He didn't anticipate this. But when those opportunities are right there, we have to take them to tell the good news about Christ because there are souls that can be saved by the precious blood of Christ. Amen. And so the gospel of Mark, again, as a whole, serves to tell us about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that from the very beginning, this is who God said he was. In the middle of the book, he'll say, listen to him. And at the end of the book, Jesus will be sitting with him, I believe, offering all of us an opportunity to do the same as well. 
And I think that's the good news that he begins chapter 1, verse 1 with. The good news is that the Son of God came, he died, and he did, wasn't just this all-powerful being, but an all-powerful being that gave everything that he had so that we could be made in his image. Thank you so much uh, for listening to A Year with Jesus and for really for reading through the gospel of Mark. We hope that it's been encouraging. We hope that it stirred your faith up to continue to, to, to hold on to the Lord and to follow him. We want to especially thank Ryan for being with us this week. And next week, we will be in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. And so if you want more information on either the podcast, the previous lessons, or the future reading plan, you can go to embryhills.com slash podcast.